Luke chapter 24, and we're going to pick up um, from the from verse uh, number uh, 13. We we were looking this morning at the first 10 verses. I'm going to pick up from verse 13 and read down to verse 35 just now. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about what all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this uh, conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and, and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures of things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And we'll end our reading at verse 35. Let's bow our heads together for a moment of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, what we do not have, give us What we do not know, teach us, and what we are not, make us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two on a road is what we're calling tonight's message. There are plenty of um, police crime dramas on the television these days. Uh, They're very popular. Uh, Silent Witness, uh, Unforgotten, Shetland, The Bay. There's even some made in Dundonald. Uh, And they always involve a tale of mystery and tragedy. These things are written to maximise suspense. That's the way they're written. I always try to work out who done it early on. 
Uh, my, la- my latest working uh, theory is that it's generally uh, some fairly insignificant character that appears for long enough to be identifiable, but short enough to not seem like a credible perpetrator. That's my latest working theory. <laughs> sometimes that, that works, sometimes it doesn't. But, but any guess is, is only ever a guess because you can't work it out that early on. Some vital piece of information eludes us. In fact, it's kept from us uh, for the purposes of the drama. In the passage that we have read this evening, we have witnesses, we have a tragedy, and we have a mystery. Jesus' first uh, post-resurrection appearance recorded in Luke is a real tale of confusion. This is happening this afternoon, of course. Let's get the the calendar set in our head. This is the afternoon of Resurrection Day. This is Easter Sunday. This is uh, Jesus' first appearance outside Jerusalem. There are two men, or perhaps one man called Cleopas and a woman. Uh, The way it's written uh, in the original, it's not definite. It could be a woman, it could be a man. On the road to somewhere called Emmaus, uh, and they are confused. Now, we can see that they belong to the rest. Uh, In verse 9, if you have your Bible open, the the rest uh, that we spoke about this morning, uh, when we piece that together with verse 22. Those that were at the tomb early. They are among the others who, along with the disciples, listened uh, to the story of Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and Salome, and at least one other woman. uh, they, They were confused this morning as well. They listened to their story as they recounted what had happened. The exact location of Emmaus is is not known, but we know that it's about seven miles from Jerusalem. This pair were were probably uh, in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover and were now returning back home again. But some vital piece of information eludes them. In fact, we are told here as they walk along that it's been kept from them. It's been kept from them. We as the viewer, uh, the onlooker, are given something that they do not have. Something pretty vital that they are not party to. Not just yet. As they walk along and are joined by someone else. Uh, It's it's a kind of he's behind you moment. uh, uh, Like in a a pantomime, although infinitely more important than that. Uh, We as uh, onlookers are told that it is Jesus himself. Who's the one who draws alongside them? That increases the drama. That keeps you reading, doesn't it? As, uh, as we realise that that really does change everything for them. Or it would change everything if they realised who he was. But there are other things as well that elude these two uh, on a journey, uh, as we'll see. And, and it's even expected that some of these they might have been able to realise or to get. Firstly, uh, tonight we see sadness and confusion. Verse 15, uh, the word uh, uh, translated discussing here is, is strong. Discussing is strong. When they're talking and discussing, emotions are running high. That's what that means. Three days have passed and hopes are fading. And we shall see there was plenty of hope pinned on this Jesus. Uh, this is the, uh, the reason we're told that they're looking sad. Uh, this great man was dead and they had lost all hope. They're having this uh, strongly, this emotive discussion one to another. And then Jesus comes and joins with them. He, he's human. He's, he's a man. But like 
with Mary Magdalene at the garden tomb in John 20, uh, they don't recognize him. Now he's in his resurrection body. But it's not that he looks that different. No, no, we're told explicitly that they are kept from recognizing him. Verse 16 tells us that, that God stops them from seeing who he is. And there's a purpose in this. As the drama unfolds, it certainly adds to the mystery and the wonder of this event. These events that we're speaking about. Jesus asked them uh, some questions. Some very leading questions. And, and, he, and, he, and he pretends to be ignorant, doesn't he, of the information. So that, so that they can speak out as to what exactly is saddening them. As to what exactly is going on in their mind. Of course, he's not ignorant of any of it. Verse 17. What is this conversation you are holding with each other? What are you talking about as you walk? He asks. And, and they stop, we're told. Shocked, uh, taken aback, looking sad. Uh, Cleopas says, are you kidding me? We're talking about what everyone's talking about. <laughs> That's what he said. Verse 18. Are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know about what's been happening? I mean, I mean, where have you been? Have you been living in a, in a tree or something? Where, where have you been? I mean, what's going on? What things, Jesus presses the matter further. And in answering this, they reveal a lot about who they believe this Jesus to be. They make a confession without even realising that they're confessing about the one that's standing right next to them. It's a bit like, I don't know if you've ever had one of those experiences where you're, you're talking about someone and they just so happen to be within earshot and you didn't realise. It's quite embarrassing. It used to happen to me all the time. I hope I'm getting, getting good at not doing that now. And the confession shows some confusion. As it falls short. Let's break this down uh, in your Bibles. Let's follow, me, follow with me in the text here. Verse 19. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man. He was, of course, fully man, 100% man. But the emphasis here and the mention, the mention of God later in the sentence, before God and all the people, more than suggests a lack of realisation of his deity. The uh, centurion on the cross, of course, said, surely this was the Son of God. But they're not saying this here. Even if this uh, man comment is, is just a general starting point, the rest of this confession will show this anyway. Who was a prophet? Keep following with me. Who was a prophet? Luke um, writes his gospel uh, for the world of the Greeks, the Greek world. The Greek culture that, that continued so strongly into the Roman Empire. And, and Luke, is, as a book, is all about this, this one question. Who is this Jesus? And it comes up over and over again in the book. And this occurs as, a, as something of a progression. Uh, you know, early on, we, we see Jesus in Luke 7 called a prophet. As he's just raised the, the widow's son in a place called Nain. He's called a prophet. But the book then goes on to show that he's much more than that. A prophet is, is correct, but it's inadequate. Uh, it's an inadequate description. It's a bit like um, calling your grandmother a woman. She's a woman, all right, but she's much more than a woman. She's your grandmother. Mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. Oh, they remembered. They remembered that he was mighty indeed in word. They remembered the teaching in the temple. They remembered the astounding things that he said. And people are going, who's this guy? 
They, they recognized him as extraordinary. Uh, they, they remembered him casting out demons. Uh, they remember him performing these healings and making people well. Uh, but who was he? Did they really know? Our chief priests, next line. Our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. Blame is laid here, isn't it? Culprits are named. The blame is laid four square at the Jewish authorities, our chief priests and rulers. Uh, not the Romans who actually carried out uh, the, the physical act of crucifixion. And, next line, crucified him. Yes, it really happened. He really was crucified and everyone knows it. It didn't happen in a corner, as Paul says to King Agrippa later in the book of Acts. It didn't happen in a corner. It's, everyone knows about it. And then we get to the crux of their despair and sadness in verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. The confusion that existed right throughout the Gospels and the disciples is still here after he has risen. They expected a, 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 a military rescuer, a redeemer who was, who was strong in military power. A freedom fighter from the Romans, the oppressors that were, that were like Egypt of old. And now for them it was they needed to get free of this. A political power that would be glorious and mighty in every way they'd imagined. Riding in on a donkey on Palm Sunday that worked with a, this, this idea that they had a new movement coming. A new king who was going to take on the oppressors to redeem Israel. The hope is past tense. They had hoped. Now they've almost lost hope. And they are crestfallen. Now tragedy has struck. Now, now he's been killed. And yes, and besides all this, it says it is now the third day since these things happened. He's been dead since Friday. We're, we're, we're a long while since Friday. But there was something about this third day, wasn't there? Something about that. The, the disciples, they, they, they knew that the, the Lord Jesus had spoken something about something happening on the third day. And, and, that, and that the tomb was supposed to be empty. And a note of hope sort of rises here. But this was not adequate evidence of any resurrection. No, that, that would only have been provided by Jesus appearing himself. That would have taken more than an empty tomb. That would have, he would need to have been there himself. And they weren't sure about this. Moreover, some, of, some women of our company amazed us. I mean, this is crazy, this rumour that's doing the rounds. Uh, verse 22 shows that, uh, us that the testimony of the women really amazed them. The women, of course, were not really trusted in that day to give a witness statement in a, in a court of law or anything like that. Which makes it all the more remarkable that that's actually who saw Jesus uh, in the first instance. Verse 24 shows an awareness of this cultural situation about women. Uh, certainly implies it. And find it just as the women had said. Not really sure if we can trust those women, but it just happened to be the way they said. Verse 11 also shows that they doubted the women's story. These words seem to them an idle tale, says. And we can see why, can't we? Somebody tells you that somebody's risen from the dead, what are you thinking? Not true. Not true. It's hard to process someone rising from the dead, isn't it? So with all this buzzing around their heads, and they just couldn't make any sense of it. 
Jesus was dead and now apparently he's alive and they simply couldn't understand. Despite having one vital piece of information that eludes them, we, as 21st century readers, as 21st century people, could still have the same problem as them. We can still have that confusion like Cleopas and his friend had. Uh, 2,000 years later, uh, the resurrection still stumps people. Many people still refuse to believe it. And for others who do believe in the event, there's confusion about what it actually means. I mean, is it just about a man dying in a cruel fashion so that he could inspire us as a great example? You know, some sort of great role model for laying down your life for, for what is good and right and honourable. Is that what it's about? Is it just a story from history like Helen of Troy or Pompeii or something to raise the emotions uh, where we think that's terrible, uh, that it's really sad but it, it serves as little more than a talking point? Is that what it's about? Or is it more than that? Was he just a prophet like many other prophets? Uh, a good teacher, a wise guru for the Christians? Is that who he was? What about all this resurrection stuff? I mean, rationalism teaches us that people don't rise from the dead. Ever since the Enlightenment, we've been rejected that sort of thing. I mean, come on. So we had sadness and confusion, but now we have explanation and clarification. The second point. The security checks at the airport can be a bit of a pain if you've ever been there. It's that uh, searching through your bag and the shoes and, oh no, I've been called to the side. They want to have another look at my bag and, and you've got to take off your belt and everything. But then at the same time, you have to think of safety. You don't want them to be too blasé either, do you? You don't want them to miss something when it comes up. There was a report in the news of the US Transportation Security which managed to pick up banned weapons and mock explosives on 67 out of 70 occasions. 95% success rate. Now I'm not finding those figures terribly comforting, are you? 95%? Jesus is putting these men over the entire Old Testament and saying, look what you missed. Look what you missed. Verse 25. Oh foolish ones. It's, it's maybe a little strong in English. It's Jesus, he, he's angry with the corrupt money changer, right? But he's gentle with the honest seeker. Oh foolish ones. It's probably a little bit strong. But, but he, he goes to explain to them the significance of it all. Was it not necessary that Christ, the Christ should suffer these things? Jesus is on his third question of the journey. Was it not necessary? It's just like when the angels, back in verse 7, used the word must. Was it not necessary? Must this not be? Uh, Heaven has one message on this. Uh, It is necessary. It must be. And in in the question, Jesus identifies who he really was. He tells them that he's not just a prophet, but, but indeed he is the prophet. He's not, he, 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 he's not just somebody that has died, he's the Messiah, he's the Christ, he's the one promised in the Old Testament. He's the Christ of God, as Peter confesses in, in Luke 9. 
And he, he wants to tell them the importance of suffering coming before glory. We, we've talked about this before. This is of great significance in getting a right understanding of who the Messiah and what the Messiah is. Suffering is, is missing if you, if you don't get that. The, the women first at the tomb needed help too, didn't they? These two clearly had wrong ideas from the Old Testament about, about the promised one, about the Messiah. They, they, had, they had no doubt worked uh, through passages on the glory of the Messiah. Uh, the, the Isaiah 59s, you know, the, the TV evangelists spoke about those every week. You know, wonderful glory uh, coming in the Messiah. But, but, but the darker side, the prophecies uh, of Psalm 22 or, or Psalm 69 or Isaiah 53, which we know very well, well, they were left to the boring consecutive ministry scribes who didn't get much airtime. Glory was popular, suffering was not. Verse 27. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He's both. He had to go through suffering and then it's glory. He's the Messiah as the Bible presents it. And then he, he takes them through the, uh, through the Bible. He take, he, he, this is Bible exposition, passage by passage from the Lord Jesus himself. Oh, it would have been great to hear this. I would have loved to have heard this. Uh, that this wasn't some uh, John Piper or Alistair Begg or Charles Spurgeon. This was Christ himself. Think about it. Jesus has no weakness in, in, in biblical theology. In other words, he knows the Old Testament is about himself. He knows there's one message. It's about him. He gets it. He began with the book of Moses. It tells us that. Genesis, the books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, then the prophets. This book of ours, it's all about Christ. It speaks of him. It's not just that the Old Testament made statements and prophecies about the Messiah, uh, both suffering and glory, as we just said. It's that the Old Testament is all about him on every page. That means that when you read your Bible in, on your own with your family, you should always ask, what is this telling me about Jesus? This tells us that we do not need to doubt. It, it's, it's written. It's written. He, he suffered, yes, on the cross, but, but, but he is risen gloriously, it's written, uh, and is alive. And that's the thread that runs right through scripture. Uh, in the passage after passage, we can clearly see that this was always the way it was to be. This was necessary. This must be. This was the plan of God. His death was not just an example of something that merely to, to attain to, to, to be... Something to, to show us how, how to lay down your life for something good and honourable. No, this was, this was substitutionary atonement. It was my sin, in other words, that he died for. It was our sin that he died for. And his uh, perfect sacrifice at the same time fulfills all the Old Testament sacrifices and satisfies the wrath of holy God. The, re- the resurrection is a historical fact. Any historian worth their salt will tell you that there is more evidence for this than there is for Julius Caesar himself. There are also many witnesses. We have two of them here. There are many others. Over 500 at one time, we're told in 1 Corinthians. 
But even that is somewhat inadequate. Because as the passage shows, even to walk with the human Jesus is not enough. They have to have revelation from God. And that's it. In that, we are entirely dependent on, on the revelation of God too, just like the two on the road. We've seen sadness and confusion, explanation and clarification. Now finally we see revelation and heartburn. Jesus in verse 28 is urged to stay on with the two as they reach their home village. He, he, he acts like he's going further, but they, they convince him to come in and they reach uh, Emmaus and he stays and there's a table scene. Uh, they sit down to a meal together as they did often in the ancient Near East, as we do today. And it's, it's not the Lord's Supper, but it, it certainly reminds us of it. Lots of similarities. And as the two shared fellowship with Jesus, and as Jesus was heard, his presence and true identity came across most intimately. Their eyes are opened, we're told. Their eyes are opened. And they see it. They see him. The moment of truth. The big reveal. The surprise is over. They see him. It's Jesus himself. How privileged they are. And then just as quickly as the thought enters their minds, as the truth enters their hearts, he's gone. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Do you remember when God opened your eyes? When you, when you saw your need? When you, when you saw Christ as the only solution? When you, when you glimpsed the Saviour with the eyes of faith and a willing heart? Do you remember? You see, it wasn't your own intelligence that brought you to Christ. I sometimes hear well-meaning earnest preachers suggest that Stupidity is like the main thing that's keeping people from Christ. If I'll just make it as simple as I possibly can for you, why can't you understand? But, but I, I don't think it's that from this passage. The, the main barrier is, is revelation. Yes, it should be clear. But the chief barrier is not information. The Bible makes it clear. It's... It's our unwillingness to submit to God in the person of Jesus. We will naturally not have this man to rule over us. We, we want to be our own man. We want to be our own woman. Uh, it, it, it's also deadness. You could put it like that. Only the Spirit of God can open the eyes of the dead. It's because we're dead. It's because we want to live for ourselves. That's the barrier. Some people don't know the gospel. Yeah, I understand that. But I'm saying chiefly here, it's that idea, I don't want to have this man to rule over me. For we need revelation. We need life-giving revelation. The revelation of God in his word. The revelation of Jesus. The power is in God's word. The power, uh, the Holy Spirit of revelation is needed to awaken us. To open our eyes. A mental ascent to facts never converted anyone. I wonder how the words of Jesus impact you. 
the words of Jesus, the word of God, the Bible. Does your, does your heart burn? Does it, does it burn as the, as the spirit of, of God is, is calling you to come, to come to Christ? To, to repent from your sins? To trust him? To commit your way to him for life, for eternity? Does it, does it burn as the, as the light of revelation switches on in your heart and soul and mind and you, and you see the full jigsaw, whereas before it was just broken pieces, jumbled up? Christian tonight, does your heart burn again as you hear his voice, the voice of the shepherd whose sheep know his voice? Will you obey that voice? Because will you trust him for your life's journey? Will you listen to him above all other voices? As, as his words sear on your heart with the importance of, of the Lord of your life speaking. What does it all mean? We ask again. The mystery has been revealed. The Bible talks about mystery a lot. It's, you can look at a study, you can go right through the Bible. But the, the big mystery is that Jesus has come. The mystery of the gospel Paul talks about is Jesus has come. This means that he really did rise from the dead. We, we have him here telling the story alive and well. It's not just an empty tomb. He's walking around. We have witnesses. We have a physical form, a man. It's Jesus. Uh, and it's vital. It's vital that we, that we, that we know this because, because without, the revelation, without the resurrection, all of us are still in our sins. Paul makes that very clear in 1 Corinthians 15. It's how we're saved. He, he says in Romans 4, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Raised to make us right with God. And in 1 Timothy 3 verse 16, there's a great verse that I think really applies tonight. Listen to this. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world and taken up in glory. It's the great mystery now revealed. God came in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was shown to be on the right track. He was shown to be, uh, his sacrifice was sufficient by uh, the Holy Spirit of God raising him from the dead. That's what that means. It's how we know that God has accepted the sacrifice. He was seen by angels. We saw something of that this morning. It's the start of the chapter. Proclaimed among the nations. We are one of those nations. Believed on in the world. We believe on him. I wonder to you, and later, some days later, he's taken up, ascending to heaven, into glory, and seated at the right hand. This is almost like a creed, this verse. And we confess it tonight. This is our Jesus. This is our Lord. He rises from the dead with all the authority given to him. And so his words are vital to us. What he says we must do. Where he says we must go. And our hearts should burn within us. When the voice of God speaks. It's two in a road. And the mystery is revealed. He is risen. He is not here. For he is risen. 
Let's bow our heads together in a word of prayer.